Podcast ain't played nobody. You have 120 seconds to get New Mexico State out of your system. Go. <laughs> New Mexico State almost freaking beat Troy last week. Uh, they are, and we briefly did like 18 seconds of research before we, we started recording. They are 18-point favorites against UTEP this weekend. As far as I can tell, the only time in, in at least 15 years that they've been even a 10-point favorite over somebody in FBS uh, was like 06 against Louisiana Tech. Uh, we are in uncharted waters. I just kind of wish they would have pulled that off and actually beat Troy. I know your boy uh, would not have been very pleased about that, your boy uh, Neil Brown, but they came really, really close. Tyler Rogers threw for 331 yards. They uh, were down 20-3. to They went on a 21-7 to run to finish the game, and now per the football study hall, New Mexico State stat profile, they have a 43% chance of getting to 6-6. Six and six. So... Beat UTEP this weekend. Beat them badly. Uh, beat Georgia Southern in Statesboro, which would uh, have all sorts of other repercussions. Uh, beat Texas State. That's four. Uh, beat Idaho and South Alabama at home. And you are maybe bowling. And that is uh, the basically the only thing I am rooting for for the rest of the 2017 college football season. I have no idea what kind of impact that would have. but Oh, none. It would have you're none. the QSA... I mean, just do what we told you. Just just rope them in. This game at UTEP, it's it's like sixty miles or something. Just do yeah. it. Save New Mexico or State. Or just re- or replace UTEP with New Mexico State. Yeah. UTEP is pretty bad. I think that's probably the, the more um informed take on that spread. UTEP. Yes. Really bad. Yeah. Whatever confidence you have in New Mexico State, most of those eighteen points are on the simple fact that UTEP might be the worst team in, in FBS right now. And I appreciate that Sean Kugler let um uh, Pease, Brent Pease, go. Uh, it was called a firing when he let it, when he fired his offensive coordinator. It was just freeing him uh, from the debacle that 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 is UTEP. By the way, when I was doing the Boise State piece um, over the summer, one of their assistants spent a few years at UTEP before getting uh, freed to go back to Boise State, and um, he. It was funny, like he basically. Without going into great detail, he, he was going out of his way to be diplomatic. He was, he was just very, very lightly towing around the, how hard it is to convince families to let their sons play in El Paso. He's like, you know, it's it's a it's a nice place, good family place, lots of, uh, you know, it's it's really no not all that different from Boise. He said, but it was just hard to convince parents that it wasn't, you know, hellscape. And, yeah. and that was the, this podcast ain't played nobody. I'm running right over Bill. Ah. That was it. I gave you, by the way, 242. Well, I, I switched. That, that was like a minute on UTEP, too. I kind of stole a minute there. This podcast ain't played nobody. That's Robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. Uh, this is the college football marriage of numbers and words. Bill is the author of two books. You can find them on the Amazon.com or if there's still a bookstore in the state that you live in. Congratulations. Uh, my name's Stephen Godfrey. I really haven't done much of anything. Uh, we have, you know what we have? We have equity. It's one of my favorite uh, words. Okay. Equity going into this week. Because last week, everyone started to mush mouth about the slate. And I contend, my friend, that we had a beautiful mixture of good big games, surprising weird games, and enough rubbernecking on the highway that is Saturday to qualify last week as a winner. I was happier leaving Saturday than I was when that week three than I was week one. So, 
we're faced with another predicament. It's not the greatest week in the world. Iowa's in prime time, but we, we will survive. We will persevere. We are going to talk about Purdue, but limit it. Okay, folks? Like, just contain that, contain that unbridled excitement. Just know that I can talk over you just as well, and I will, by God, if I haven't said everything I want to say about Purdue. Hmm. So I'm just going to give you like 30 minutes, you think, on the boilers? <laughs> um, I will say, by the way, I'm gonna, I am gonna. have a piece up coming at, at uh, SB Nation probably tomorrow. This is, what, this is a week where the three biggest games are. We've got two ranked, uh, get, you know, ranked versus ranked games, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Mississippi State, Georgia. And then we've got like five games where a top 10 team is playing a legitimately solid team on the road. All of them, per S&P, have at least 75% chance of winning. They're not all going to win. We are guaranteed to have at least one upset uh, among the the Alabama, Vandy, Michigan, Purdue, USC, Cal, Penn State, Iowa, Washington, Colorado bunch. The the odds are much, much greater of us having at least one upset than not having an upset. Really? Because none of the matchups that you just rattled off, I feel like an upset is coming. Well, you're not supposed to. They all have at least a 75% chance of winning, but that's the way odds work. So they, I, I feel good. I feel good. Basically, what you have to do is you just have to have the remote in your hand all day. And once once Twitter says go, go with alacrity to whatever game you are ta- we are talking about. Uh, just know that one's coming and we don't know where. I like it. Alacrity. Um, I'm staying homebound this weekend. Um, I'm had the option to go to a couple different games, but um, I was kind of cool to see the K-State Vandy game because I'm doing less actual games and more like reporting during the week and special projects, kind of getting out of that game-to-game grind. But I really kind of felt bad, even though I saw a cool thing, K-State Vandy, um, that I was missing what ended up being kind of really fun night slate. You know, didn't didn't get to see a stitch of Mississippi State LSU, Got to see bits and pieces. Saw the end of the Texas game. Um, so I'm excited just to just to roll through. Um, we'll get to the slate in a second. We'll get to your questions in a second. Um, you did a piece on Mississippi State LSU. Um, yeah. We have talked only jokingly about the Purdue Brom thing. Um, where do you want to go first? Well, we can start with Mississippi State. That was I, I enjoyed putting that piece together. I've been trying to do a little more charting myself. Um, like on Sundays and Mondays uh, after the ratings and everything have been updated just to try to figure out, just to piece together, like, what are they doing? What, how, how did this happen? I can, you know, say that LSU had a bad rushing success rate or whatever, but trying to t- tie together the intent here uh, with the numbers and, and the Mississippi State game, going through and charting that and watching it slowly for whatever reason. Like, Hang on one second, of, one second. Ta- explain when you chart, for those of you who are new to this podcast, explain exactly what goes into breaking down a game when you chart it. So when I'm watching a game, I'm just kind of watching it, you know, um, like everybody else. I don't really I'm not internalizing a lot of strategic uh, things. I'm like, I just remember, you know, that was a big play and stuff like that. But when you go back and you chart it and what I'm meaning here is a very bare bones thing, not like quite to the um, not quite to the level that we were doing at football study hall a few years ago until you know, pro football focus came along and just wiped the floor of everybody else in what they do. Um 
I basically, I, I, I have the, I have columns for like, you know, numbers in the box and, and uh, formation, you know, 11 or 12 or whatever on the offensive side. I don't do that every game because it doesn't always tell a story. But one thing I've been trying to do at the very least is document where the, where teams are running, where teams are throwing, um, how far down the field they're throwing, just to kind of pick up on kind of a, 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 in my head, kind of a heat map of where teams are going and what are teams actually trying to attack. And watching the Mississippi State game in that matter, it was really pretty fun to watch just how much they were going trying to go off tackle basically mm-hmm. they were pulling they were pulling guards a lot they were basically it's hard to have a size advantage over LSU but those outside linebackers those DN slash outside linebackers on the on the corners are you know 230 pounds and Mississippi State has a lot of big fat offensive linemen and they're quick enough to get to the outside there was they had some success pulling they had some success uh, throwing to a couple certain areas of the field a few times, and then they had some success just letting LSU completely self-destruct. On uh, like three different scoring drives, LSU had at least one personal foul. And, uh, at least once they had two personal fouls. Um, as, as I was saying on Sunday, they showed every single bit of the mental fragility we were hoping not to see from an Ed Orgeron team this time mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot. LSU has a lot to prove now, but I think Mississippi State just proved itself to be – you know, a big and physical enough to compete with big and physical teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a good quarterback and they are super mature and experienced. And I think those are three things that will take you very far uh, in any league, much less the SEC. Bill, when we do viewing recommendations on this show, I abhor being chalky and, and especially really have done everything in my career not to carry water for the Southeastern Conference. Um, However, this weekend, the games I'm most interested in, and I haven't even, I've only glanced at the slate in terms of getting, just getting it ready for, for this segment on the show. I haven't looked at much, but off the top yeah. of my head, I want to see Mississippi State, Georgia, because I want to see how far this thing goes with the Bulldogs, right? Really, yeah. I'm as interested in Georgia, I think. That's, exactly. oh, whoops, I, yeah. I just pee pin jinxed Georgia. My bad. Oh, God. Um, uh, so, but I'm interested in both teams as, just as a response to what we've seen so far and in, in sort of in the margins of, because uh, we weren't focused on these teams. I'm as interested in seeing what LSU does against Syracuse, not because yeah. it is in any way, shape, or form going to be a referendum on what happened last week, but this is a crater the likes of which LSU hasn't seen in decades. This is like <laughs> Curly Holloman era embarrassment for them, and I want to see how they put one foot in front of the other and, and move forward. Um, I do believe in that staff. I spent a lot of time with that staff. They have really good coordinators. Um, they're recruiting well. This shouldn't be shocked. I don't think there's any, any systemic problem except that everything they did Saturday night showed to be a systemic problem. So right, exactly. I'm fascinated was... in what they are moving forward, even against Syracuse, honestly. And, and by the way, next week they play Troy. Um, so just put that feather in your cap. Um, and then the third game is, um, I'm going to write a piece this week just about, we, we kind of coined this last year. It wasn't this kink. I think we did anxiety bowl last year for Arkansas Auburn because it was played in uh, September. Auburn A&M. Auburn A&M. All, okay. Thank you. Auburn A&M. So, uh, Jason Kirk, our college football editor has asked me to basically put together a, a preview slate in accordance with real and perceived hot seat temperature, which is going to be tricky. Um, And, of course, the one that jumps out is Texas A&M and Arkansas (laughs) and Arlington for obvious reasons. So uh, those three games, you know, it is a weak slate and it's a weird one. But this is, man, this is where you get into the true, like, basement nerd 
element of college football where if you have the casual glance and look and say, oh, okay, there's no like number two versus number six, Oklahoma, Ohio state feeling the amount of storylines this week. And that's just the one conference in my backyard where I know the most people, we haven't even broken it down yet. I mean, as I say this, I'm just actually getting more excited because <laughs> you deal in, you know, you deal in numbers, you deal, you deal in, a, um, in, in a finite capacity in a lot of your writing and you can, those numbers have relevance throughout the season. Sometimes like, you know, our buddy, Bud Elliott does recruiting and it has its peaks and its valleys in terms of relevance. For me, I've, I really feel like it's hard for me to contribute anything. You know, I wrote a piece, I think I was pinging you and you were at a Missouri game about the Oregon Nebraska game where how much stock do I put into this? Like, where's the relevance? We don't have enough of a sample. And now as we get to the end of September, okay, now things are starting to to take shape. Now I understand which ADs are actually seriously worried and which programs are in serious trouble. And well, okay, let's talk about Nebraska. Let's talk about let, let's talk about the reality of what Auburn did against Mercer versus what they've done for the rest of the year and how is this going to affect. So I really feel like I get to kind of stretch now. And these crap <laughs> these crappy weeks, which are less about the sport of football, that's where I shine, baby. Um, I want to ask you one thing. Okay. Uh, it came out. Uh, it was just tweeted on the main college football account over at SB Nation. Um, the S and P over uh, S and P Plus. I'm sorry, overachievers. You have a top ten ranking of S and P Plus overachievers. Can you explain to me briefly? And I want to go through these and then match them against what I was hearing as a reporter and see how far apart we were in the off season. So explain real fast what an S and P Plus overachiever is. Yeah, so this year uh, in the numerical column on Tuesdays, I kind of have some running, uh, little running themes. One of them is uh, the big play watch, Oklahoma State versus Penn State. Uh, so far through three rounds, Oklahoma State has won two rounds, and they've, they, they had a draw in the second round. Um, I have what I was calling the gunner of the year watch because I'm tracking special teams tackles, and that's just for me. But um, <laughs> I also have – Gunner of the year, Jesus. The uh, S&P Plus overachievers and underachievers. And basically what this means, I was looking at it by both team and conference, and it looks at how you perform compared to your S&P projection. So earlier okay. in the year, it's basically telling you where were the projections massively off and where were they not. And um, and so – and I think S&P, what it, what it does a good job of uh, – you know, what, what's funny is, I mean, this is the point of the year where you know exactly what, what team S&P is wrong about, but I since I phase the – projections out slowly right um it keeps them propped up for a little while or keeps them held down so baylor is propped up uh and i'm i'm just not responding on twitter to the 10 times a day somebody uh. asked me why baylor is so rank, rank so high like just scroll down on my damn twitter feed and you'll see um but baylor's being propped up uh oregon state's being propped up a little Pitt's being propped up a little as of uh, the last game missouri's now being propped up a little bit and so um, those teams, by within the next three weeks or so, with the, you know their 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 stats will be naked, and it will all be 2017. But right now they're being propped up. Meanwhile, Mississippi State's being held down a little bit. Purdue and Maryland are being held down a little bit. Duke's being Duke and Wake Forest are both being held down. But yeah, what it's basically looking at is. Um, 
where you perform versus what your projections are. It's getting okay. uh, like in terms of game to game error, it's basically right where I want it to be. But there are always going to be some teams on the margins. S&P plus overachievers. Here's the list. We're going to go one through ten. We're going to start Mississippi State. We just talked about them. I think it's pretty obvious why uh, they're winning against LSU. They have looked good in, in every other game. Right. So far. Fact, they did that three Open times. Open to scrub. Charleston Southern and looked good on the road against Tech, which is a uh, Louisiana Tech, which is not necessarily something as easy as it sounds. No. Uh, so I'm going to run through these fast, and then I'm going to go through the ones that I think that I felt really good about, like I like I can pat myself on the back for, and then the ones that are just totally confusing. Uh, so number two, Air Force. Number three, Purdue. Number four, Maryland. Number five, Duke. Number six, Wake Forest. What is this, a basketball ranking? Number seven, this one's left field. Fresno State, number eight, Oregon, number nine, Okie State, number 10, UTSA. UTSA. Um, so uh, spent some time at UTSA, um, been monitoring those guys for a while. Everyone I've talked to, obviously very high on Frank Wilson. Uh, they had the benefit of, you know, they didn't play Houston, so they're undefeated, right? I'm not saying they would have lost that game, but they're looking great. Baylor is Baylor. Um, right. That one doesn't shock me. It kind of felt like we were in the know on that one. Um New yeah, that one, they're, they're being propped up. They're on the list because they've only played two games, and once was one was against Baylor, basically. Um, uh, Oregon, I feel like yeah. we've talked we've talked a good bit about Oregon. Yeah. Um, it does not shock me at all that Willie was able to immediately graft that offense in, with that personnel. Immediate, and, and by the way, they're playing a lot of freshmen. They're playing a lot yeah. of people that are. I know coaches hate it, but it's true. They're guys, you know. So they've right. come in and been able to to handle the personnel. We talked about what happened at this in the second half of the Nebraska game, Wyoming. I don't want to touch on Josh Allen too much. It's probably a deeper topic for another day. But Wyoming is not as talented as we thought. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you were right. Uh, Wyoming is I'm, not. I'm about to admit the ones I was wrong about, so I had to prop up one that I was sure. right about. Sure. Uh, you know, Wyoming is not, you know, I think I think the amount of attention on Allen and in the immediate um, context with what he was, you know, that he was put into, is it, it wasn't fair to him. It really wasn't. Um, and, I, and this is speaking as someone who, you know, the whole Wyoming bit with me is not like a meme. It's it's real. Like, I do love UW, <laughs> and I do love going to the state of Wyoming. I love going to Laramie. I'm not just like, I, I can't ski. Like, I, I like going to Wyoming because it's Wyoming. Um, Oregon, you know, I don't want to necessarily say I took credit for it because we're still kind of quietly, privately waiting for the defense to right. to break in an important second half, but I do I am not surprised to see them on the list. Okay, real fast, Maryland surprises me. Um, yeah. Knew that they were going to be better. Knew that they were building. Uh, I think they're way ahead of schedule. Purdue is not that surprising to me. We'll get to Purdue in a second because we're going to magnitude surprises me. The yes, fact that they're better exactly. Doesn't. They are they are really good, really fast, and it was hard to understand how fast he'd be able to do it because the roster didn't seem like it could be applied like this. <laughs> it really didn't. No, um, I really don't. One thing I can, well, no, actually, no, I'll save it till we, we'll, we'll talk more about Purdue in a minute, but keep going. Yeah. Um, so Duke, um, tell me a little bit. I, I know we, we, you jumped about, you kind of were jumping up and down, loving on Wake Forest, a, a previous show, but what's Duke doing on here? <laughs> Duke right now is playing incredible defense. Um, that is their biggest thing. They are, They've always been efficiency based on offense, which basically means a lot of dink and dunk kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they are now efficiency based on uh, defense in that they have the best success rate in the country and almost the worst uh, ISO PPP, the measure of the successful plays. Okay. They give up all, 
the biggest successful plays in the country and the fewest successful plays in the country. They are attacking the hell out of you, kind of like what Vanderbilt is doing. Okay. Um, and it's awesome. And I love that they're doing it. Um, they gave up like 270-plus-yard passes to Baylor the other day. But when you – when you go when you go this route, you are being aggressive enough. You're forcing three and outs. You're probably forcing some turnovers. Uh, you're basically banking on it paying off more than it backfires. And so far, you know, it's it's each week has been a little shakier for Duke. We'll see how long. Like I mean, of course, they controlled NC Central. Uh, they mostly controlled Northwestern. They gave up a couple big gashes against Baylor, but otherwise controlled them. So now they have to play North Carolina and Miami and Florida State and and so on and so on. We'll see if this if this. Uh, balance continues but they have that's the, the reason they're on the list is they've been absolutely dynamite on defense defensive coordinator stuff. jim Knowles, by the way uh yeah. that's a staff that yeah. like he's been he's been with Cutcliffe the whole time even when they were doing like bendo break stuff a few years ago and like two years ago he's like you know what i'm yeah. tired of it we're, we're attacking and he had just enough better personnel to do it uh and they improved and now they've improved drastically that's this year. staff it's just so quietly good like it's um God, he was on the old Miss staff in the 2003 Cotton Bowl, which is really sort of the first team I covered game to game. I, oh man, I don't remember who he was. Like he must have been like a he wasn't defense anyway. Sorry, uh yeah, Cutcliffe staff is just yeah, wanted to give him a shout out. David Cutcliffe is probably one of the most stand up human beings in coaching. So uh good for them, good for them being a number five. Uh, Fresno State. Yeah. And before we move on and go to just talk about Purdue, um Fresno State. Is it a, it, well, it's a similar I mean, situation in, to Purdue in that they got a good coach, and well, but they were, they were the biggest thing right now is they were, they were like, well they were projected to beat Incarnate Word by like twenty or thirty they won by sixty six they were projected to lose to Alabama by like forty five and they lost by forty one that's basically why they're okay. on the list so far they got they got thumped by Alabama still they got th- they lost forty eight to sixteen to Washington the other day. Uh, they seem to have a, a, they are further ahead, far m- further ahead than they were last year in terms of efficiency and potential in that yeah. regard. Um, but yeah, they're basically on the list because they haven't gotten blown out by as big margins as they were. So Purdue, um, yeah. I have not watched Purdue. I have been tracking the scores on various Saturdays. I did watch. I've seen every. I've seen every Purdue. Oh, of course game. you have. Uh, I yeah. saw quarters two, three, and most of four against Louisville and. Um, Love a good week one false narrative. Uh, that was <laughs> Louisville is still uh, overhyped. Uh, Lamar is overhyped. Not ready for prime time. Well, actually, maybe uh, we know <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly no. <laughs> what Louisville is, which is pretty good. And yeah. they have the best player in college football. And also, uh, they were playing a good team on a neutral site, in a neutral site. So uh, that's what happened there. And Purdue is a functional football team that's very talented. So the thing I will say about Purdue is that um, the, the, if you put the words "sexy tactics" together, uh, if, put if that on mean, a T-shirt. It, 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 yeah, um, if it's possible for you to be attracted to tactics, it's it's Jeff Brom's tactics that you're going to be attracted to. They have they have a sexy offense. He just they move they move defenders yes. around. They'll move the pocket. They'll basically just figure out. Uh, how you can be confused and they'll confuse you. We've and, been saying um, this for three years, by the way. It's just that nobody wanted to watch right. Western Kentucky. 
and and basically right now they've got a situation where their their offensive line is just good enough. Um, not, it's not great, but it's just good enough to. Uh, they've got two quarterbacks. One of them's David Blau, who uh, can be pressured and who can make some panic throws, but is much better than the other guy, Elijah Sindelar, in terms of taking what the defense gives you. Uh, so if you're if you're playing a really uh, a team that doesn't have a very good pass rush, then Blau's your guy because he'll take what's given to him. He'll make easy throws, uh, and they'll tactically be advanced enough that they can move the ball down the field. Sindelar is the guy. Sindelar might get some run against Michigan here because Michigan will get after Blau and he'll probably throw a couple panicked passes. Uh, Sindelar will take what he wants instead of what's given to him. And sometimes that will backfire, but he's more aggressive. Um, he looks downfield more. You can tell kind of like Sinalar looks, looks downfield and then moves back towards the line of scrimmage. Blau does the opposite. At Joker strength asks, how screwed am I on my Purdue bowl bet? I don't know what your bowl bet was, Carl. Um, well, if you, if, they are up to 42% to reach a bowl, uh, and that is rising quickly because, again, they're being tamped down by awful preseason projections, which, of course, they had awful preseason projections. They've been awful. Um, so I would assume you bet against Purdue to go to a bowl, which I think is now a bad bet. Right. How about that? Oh, that's right. I think he, he – yeah, I think he brought this up a few weeks ago, and I don't remember which side of the bet he was on. Um, but yeah, if you're, I, I would, I would bet they get to six and six. Now they do have to play Michigan next and they'll have a chance because Michigan can't move the ball on first down for some reason. Um, but they'll probably lose, but then they get Minnesota who's looked pretty good the last couple of weeks, but it's still, they have their own new, new staff to worry about. Uh, they get Nebraska at home. They get Illinois mm-hmm. at home. They get Indiana at home. Uh, they get Rutgers. <laughs> Doesn't matter home or away. They get Rutgers. Yes, I, that's they, a bowl. Are, they are now that's two and one. Yeah, so I think they get to not too far past six and six, but I think they get to six and six now, and that's incredible for Jeff Brom. And I want him as Missouri's coach. Flat out means that we have to kill the whole Purdue thing. Purdue was just always rock bottom in every aspect of Power Five program management, roster, facilities, <laughs> AD management. Like, no, they made a really good hire, and they play really fun football. Yeah, no, that was. I think it died the moment, it, it, like when we were reacting to the hire initially. They're like, well, I guess the Purdue thing's dead, and it, it just died faster than we thought yeah, it did. It's, um, or what? That yeah, that one's gonna be tough. Okay, Bill, you want to jump straight into the yeah. week, and we'll pair some questions along with it. Or is there anything else you want to touch on before we go ahead? I'm going to kind of marry what I'm writing about in terms of anxiety games with our schedule. You ready? Well, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. Um, uh, Purdue did play a team I'm relatively familiar with last week. And for the first time, I think ever. So, okay. So I go to Missouri home games still. I have season tickets. Um, I enjoy the tailgates. Are you, are you one of these guys who's like never, or do you have a streak going of consecutive home games? No, I mean, I've, I'll miss like a game every couple of years, uh, depending on work and whatnot. So I had a streak for a while. Did you miss a game last year? Uh, I think last year my travel coincided with a road game. So I don't think I missed a home game last year, um, okay. but I did two years ago and I just, I have like, I, I have a very good attendance record, but it's not perfect. The, whatever streak I had died. A long How time long ago. have you been a season ticket holder? 1997. Consecutive. Oh yeah. Uh, student and then graduate. And I've always lived here. So, um, so yeah, I've always, I've continued to. But I so but it's it, it's very tricky to continue going to home Missouri home games with a job that kind of requires you to watch other games on Saturday. If I, so it's if damn it's, near impossible because if, if I were to try and if I were to try and watch my favorite sports team, which is the Atlanta MFing Falcons, uh, on the same day that I was trying to monitor things for work, I'm always impressed that you can pull this off and you tailgate too. 
Right. Or, I, 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 that, that means a lot of DVRing, basically. Like, I love, yeah. I have now gone from hating the 11 a.m. kickoff to loving it because I only miss one uh, batch of games. I'm home by, like, the second quarter of the 2.30 games. Well, and you're grown-ass, too, so it's not like you're hurting. It's not like you have a splitting hangover at 11.30. Uh, or maybe or maybe you do. I don't know how I mean, hard you're going on for we'll Friday mild, night. We'll say mild hangover. Um, I like it. So I, but it's still it's it's it feels like a, I mean I have to go out of my way. It feels more like going out of my way to go to a Missouri game sometimes. And so wow. okay, when you, when you go there, oh wait 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 wait, I'm just gonna keep interrupting and egg this on. Are we getting into like the the angry open letter to an AD right now? No, I, 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 like I don't. Open, I like open, open, letters, open letters are stupid, and Jim Sterk is a pretty good AD, so he'll make the right call. Um, okay. But Tell the me. Point, the point is, hang on, hang on, hang on. He, now, he, he now has to make a call. Um, I am pulling up your conversation. All right, this, is, this will beat the Jeff Greer live email. You ready? This is the conversation I had with him, with Bill, on Saturday. I'm scrolling up. 6.37 p.m. Was it as bad as the box score? I was on the Vandy pregame show, and Mitch, our friend at Athlon, who's been on the show before, asked about Odom's security. Honestly, I was stumped. This is the private conversation I had with Bill. I bet you're you now revealing re- to, the, to the world, yes. Are you, but you're fine with this, right? I was I about know, to say well, a variation of the same thing, yeah. Okay. Uh, 6.43, Bill. <laughs> 6.43 p.m. Central. So the game's been over. No, the game's still going, right? Uh, it probably just ended okay. uh, by that point. Bill Connolly. He's done if they don't rebound. <laughs> This was the most pathetic performance I've seen in 20 years. 18, to be exact. I yeah, that basically, I was, I was in the middle of writing the, a piece of Rocky M about it, basically just saying, this is what, this is what mailing it in looks like. Um, and then I said, done this year? Bill Connolly. Yes. I cannot express how awful that was from the opening kick. Me. Damn. Not sure I've ever been so. Uh, wait, okay. So yeah, now, now, now you're getting into your private conversations. I don't know. It's fine. I said I'm not sure. I said I'm not sure I've ever been so bored of a live game because I was sitting there, we're having to write about Butch Jones while the Vandy game's going, and every time I looked up, they were punting, so I was pissed off. Um, so I mean, look, a good defensive game, as an aside to an aside, is great when you look at it in totality. As you're sitting there live trying to chart something and then like find a narrative, kind of sucks. Um, Came in to pretty okay, fast. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? You want to pivot again and talk about this? I had a conversation with multiple other sports writers. That game, K State Vandy, should have been it should have been the fastest game maybe of the day with those two offenses, right? Because you're going to run so much if you're K State. You're going to run out of the spread. You're going to run out of the read. You're going to run your your quarterback a lot, which means you're probably going to get tackled in the middle of the field and the clock's going to keep running. And then Vanderbilt is running some sort of iteration of Stanford, right? Every damn chance I felt like the officials had, there was a media timeout, officials timeout or a commercial insert. Well, because games, I don't think it's, I I don't think it's possible anymore. Uh, You know, I said said quickest, not not quick. But to your point though, and to this crusade that you've been on, that game should have been even shorter. And I still walked out of there at 1230 at night. It's ridiculous. Um, now, granted, that's me writing in the in the box and everything else, but like that's just too long. The game kicked at six thirty. Yeah, I it's actually have crap. no idea how long it lasted. I watched the fourth quarter um, and kept up with it at that point, but I wasn't really cognizant of how long it had lasted. Uh, commercials are just it. it the commercial yeah. breaks and the inserts are like it's funny because the NFL is now done away with the commercial break. So score a touchdown, kick a PAT, go to commercial, kick off. Go to commercial possession. They've cut out that last commercial break now at the NFL. So the kickoff goes straight into the drive. 
unless a two-minute warning affects it, and it's been so much better. Yeah, we're not talking about NFL games I've watched. We're not talking about lopping off forty-five minutes here, but you know you can lop off twenty if you eliminate a couple of commercial breaks. Give uh, me, I tell you what, how about this? Just cut off one uh, outsider influence commercial break per half. Would you be happy with that? I think I think that's doable first because this this is the part where you know we remember that live TV is what what advertisers actually pay for, and and so of course they're going to be commercials. But if you can lop off one per half and then keep the clock moving on incompletions five seconds into the game, like don't don't stop the clock for for that or first downs until like the second quarter. You could save easily another five to ten minutes per half, and you're done. You're, that's all you have to do. And you've okay. only you haven't killed college. You haven't changed college football. You're probably eliminating. I I would have to. I don't really know, but a few plays per half, um, and we all get home twenty minutes earlier than we did before, and it'd be awesome. Only other thing we only other thing we need to mention and mandatory, just so anyone listening can take up arms with us. Can we get the stagger better? Can we get a better stagger on on the slotted games, especially in the evening? I okay. want a wave of games at at fifteen. I want a wave of games at thirty. A wave of games at top of the hour. Well, and um, do what SEC Network is doing. They're kind of experimenting to see if it works, and it works. Uh, instead of Hell kick yeah, off bro. at eleven, kick off at two thirty, kick off at seven, kick off at eleven, kick off at three, kick off at seven, and you don't miss any games. Um, cause that's the I other like part it. of this is games last so long that if your team's playing on the road, uh, you miss the first like six minutes of, of your game because the last game is, is going through the timeouts and all that. And they didn't put the, make the windows big enough. Uh, by the way, uh, before we get into the schedule, love you all. You're all my favorite little snowflake children podcast listeners. I know that CBS sports network is on PlayStation view. Now you can <laughs> stop tweeting me. I love you all. Last last word about Missouri. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I took you, you pivoted, way off. You pivoted so, away from me like six I times. Pivoted, we, we pivoted into the Vanderbilt commercial breaks. So, okay, you, so you're we're sitting there, and I told another person at work. I think it was Richard, maybe Jason. I, Bill is genuinely like like old like traditional fan pissed off, fed up. Are you pa- traditional fan pissed off? Fed there up was with a clarity. There was a clarity to it. Like I, I, I was, I was harsh, but I, it, I didn't lose sleep that night. I was, I was, you know, I got the anger out of the way. Okay. Anyway, back to, you know, since you interrupted and spoke over me. Um, so it, it's harder to go to games. I feel like I'm missing more and I, I have a shorter trigger for leaving than I used to. Um, so do, so do the, the friends who I always tailgate with cause they're from St. Louis and their kids are with the in-laws. And so, you know, yada, yada, but, um, what's that drive? Uh, to their house, probably, uh, you know, depending on traffic, getting out of Columbia between about an hour and 40 and two ten. Gotcha. Um, okay. Just to paint a picture. So, um, I left in the first quarter. What? I did not know this. First quarter. Billiam, I left what are you first. doing? I, I was asking myself that too. Like I, I, it, it was a very, like, I wasn't even thinking about it. And then it just hit me like, wow. why, if it's such, if it's a hassle for me to be here, and it's a little harder for me to do that. And the team has no interest in, in playing. Why am I here? Like, I don't have wow. any, I'm not legally required to be here. And so I went home and I watched more of the other games and I didn't have 13 hours of DVR to go through on Sunday. Uh, and it was just a, it was a better experience all the way around. Cause I did not sit there. Here's how the game started. 
I'm pulling up the uh, the play by play from from Purdue, Missouri, right now. <laughs> Bill saying, "Why am I I'm not legally required to be here?" And quietly walking out of the stadium. That's my version of laying down in the backyard and screaming obscenities. So, for, first of all, I was not the first person around me to leave, and then my friends from St. Louis left about five minutes after me. Okay, um, c- capacity wise, as you walk out, what percentage of the original crowd is still there? Eighty. Well, it's hard to tell because in the first quarter, the students haven't even all showed up yet. Um, it is a it is a very leisurely. Rem, remember that Missouri has now stunk for between two and three straight years. Bro, because I went to Ole Miss. You, one, ain't, uh, you ain't got nothing on leisurely fans. Trust me. All right, yeah, so, sorry, on leisurely students. Sorry. They're they're really going out of their way to make sure that they're still that they can still say fifty thousand attended uh, each week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because they either hadn't come or they had already left there. Let's just say that there were not 50,000 in attendance when I left uh, the other day. So Purdue marches right down the field, and that's fine. First drive, you got your scripted plays. Uh, third and goal from the five, uh, Blau, uh, not what you would call a mobile quarterback, uh, makes one of Missouri's linebacker fall for one of the stupidest pump fakes you'll ever see somebody fall for uh, and trots into the end zone for a touchdown. Missouri gains three, uh, nine and a half yards in three plays and punts. Which uh, was strike, which was either strike one or two. They punted on fourth and one, reasonably near midfield uh, at the beginning of a game. Uh, it's kind of against a team you're supposed to be able to physically handle. Uh, Purdue goes right back down the field, scores again. Uh, Missouri punts on fourth and twelve that time, and then uh, Purdue goes down. And let's see, no, no, wait, maybe I did stay for the end of the first quarter. Where where'd it go? Uh, basically, at that point, I started to realize, why am I here if they don't care? Oh, no, nope, it wasn't. It was the end of the uh, – basically, then Missouri muffs another punt because they've muffed like 78 punts in the last five games. And I decided that it was my cue, and I left. And I so was, it was home, actually uh, so the rest of the games. As a connoisseur of special teams, it was actually the muff punt that finally did you in, huh? I was just kind of waiting for something, but um, <laughs> just waiting for a reason to walk out. Basically, it was like I need to see something. I need to see <sighs> why I'm still here. And and Purdue, like, uh, it, they, that's right. They forced a punt. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe I will stay for a little bit. Nope, never mind. Bill, how uh, no? Far it, it was. It was ten minutes left in the half. So I did stay till the second quarter. How far away is Missouri as a program? Before we move on. How far away is Missouri as a program from the last time I was in Columbia, which was the South Carolina game? <laughs> when they were a top five team, relatively far. I will say this. So I don't know. I don't mean uh, in performance. I mean, I'm asking you as a person who knows more about Missouri, the football program than, than anybody else I know. Mm-hmm. Not just the performance and just the fact that they changed over Pinkle retired and really nothing protest, to do with it. The protest did have. Well, I was about to say nothing to do with that, but if you think it affects it. Well, it, it affected attendance at least. Like, attendance went straight from 65 to 50. That wouldn't have just happened because of a 5 and 7 season. Okay. What, what happened? Because I'm, like, I'm, I'm the kind of person who wants to defend, like, oh, it wasn't a fluke that they won the East twice. You know, it's just dumb well, they kind were, of redneck they were SEC really good logic. They were 7 and 08 and 10 and 13, and they were pretty good in 14. Like, that wasn't a fluke because they've been, they were good frequently. Um, no, I meant the whole that they won the East twice. I'm talking about the dumb kind of redneck SEC branding well, logic. I mean, that's, that's fine. There was nothing fluky about 13. 14 was a little fluky. Okay. Uh, 13 was a damn good team. But, yeah. but basically, so what I was writing about at Rock M last week was that it really – it's kind of a weird situation where Missouri in the last eight games, I talk about big things and little things. The big things are like yards and yards per play and success rate, the things that determine most games. 
And then there are the little games or the little things like uh, finishing drives and field position and special teams. And if you, you want to put in big plays in that category because they're pretty random, that's fine. Um, those are the things that you have less that, that absolutely are important, but you have less control of over than from game to game. Like even if you have a terrible place kicker, it's not going to cost you every game because sometimes you just don't have any field goals to attempt. So like the small sample things and, and the last eight games before Purdue, Missouri had outgained their opponents six times. Um, they had on a per play basis, they had done so five times. They had a better success rate four times. So that suggests a four and four or five and three record against pretty good teams, Missouri state aside. Um, and so you could paint a picture there that over like the big picture, Missouri was doing okay. They were, um, they were still bombing out because of this little thing or that little thing. It was finishing drives again against South Carolina and special teams. Um, there was big plays against Tennessee. It was, you know, finishing drives against uh, somebody else last year. It was, it was like one thing or another or another, but that's fine. Those are you, you have the big things under control, and that means you're at least sort of on your way. Uh, the Purdue game was a, was a big things loss. Uh, the Purdue game was a complete shutdown. It looked like that. Like I had watched both Purdue games. It looked like they were surprised by everything that Purdue was doing. They were a step slow. So when they'd finally get to the receiver, he'd just cut back and trot up field for another 10 yards. It, they were dramatically unprepared to play. And so I don't want to say like everything has fallen apart or Missouri has bottomed out. Well, I hope they bottomed out. Missouri has fallen apart as a program or anything like that. They were s and had them top 50 and I believed it until last week. Uh, so that means this coming game against Auburn, mm. if they mail it in again, mm. then Odom should be done. Because I mean that's he's because he talked all like before Saturday's game he said that was before Purdue's game uh, he said that was best week of practice we've had in a long time. Yikes! I was and unaware of that. He like if, if he doesn't have that the finger on the pulse there, then he's not going to if it happens again a couple more times. So I think Auburn's going to be good enough. Like I think Missouri will bounce back just in terms of like being pretty pissed off that they've been yelled at all week. Um, you I would, would hope so. Well, I mean, if not, hey, I'll be, I'll be home by the 7 o'clock games again. But, um, you know, I would assume they bounce back. I assume they play pretty well. I assume it's not enough because they just don't have enough weapons to puncture Auburn. Um, Auburn's defense. Auburn's defense is tremendous, and they make you beat them like man-to-man. And, and Missouri has maybe two guys who can do that, and one of them has a bruised tailbone at the moment. So um, I would assume that eventually Auburn is able to pull away and win by, you know, a couple touchdowns or whatever it is. But if they mail it in again, then yes, that Barry Odom probably does need to go. Do you feel better? Well, that's all stuff I've said on Rock End. This was just summarizing for a wider audience. So you're so you're you're kind of far along on the on the uh, stages of grief thing. Oh yeah, I was in like stage three before I, as I before I got to my car. Um, like I, I I moved pretty fast. Is that the is that the worst home loss you've ever seen? The fact that it happened in September was really bad. Like I've seen, you know, I've seen my share of games where you get to the end of the year and you don't have as much to play for as your opponent. And when they punch you in the mouth and you don't respond, um, the, like the 2012 game at A&M was like 59 to 29. The, the, the last game of Pinkle's career against Arkansas, once they were eliminated from a bowl, that was really bad. Or they were all but eliminated from a bowl. Uh, so those games at the end of the year get out of hand. The fact that this happened in September when you had 10 games left and you seemed like uh, you could easily get to like seven wins if you can, if you move forward as a program um, to, to lay that big an egg in that circumstance was pretty damning. 
Would you consider the state of the Missouri program to be assy? <laughs> I ask me again next week. I am not one game is not a program, but last ass week watch. was major ass. And Tigers last week was spectacular on the, ass. Tigers on the ass watch. Okay, Bill, let's do the schedule. You ready? We're not going to get to any questions, and we got a lot of good ones, but let's go. No, we're going to get to the questions. I'm going to try and pepper them in as, as much as all I can, right. right? Thursday night. I don't know what the situation is. We mention it every week. but um, So here's our pick. It's Temple at South Florida because the other game is South Carolina State at NC Central. Um, there is no Fox or CBS game on Thursday night. Uh, nope. I guess everyone just wants you to watch those bad NFL games. So and let me not, wrap. And I'm not going to, so. No. Uh, let me wrap Friday into this as well so we can have a little segment to talk about. Uh, better on Friday. We have a Pac-12 conference game. We have Utah at Arizona on FS1 at 9.30. And we have Virginia at Boise State. Um, nice controlled scrimmage from Boise uh, on uh, ESPN2. Virginia just crushed UConn. They might have a little bit to offer. They're not going to win, but they might have a little bit to offer. They're going to go out there in the thin air of the mountains. Sure. Uh, no, that would probably be fine. Uh, maybe Boise by 10 or 13. Um, I'm going to go Utah at Arizona as a game that is interesting for me to watch. And yeah. I have obviously reported a lot on uh, Collins and Temple and all that, but um, uh, they will probably be competitive for a quarter because South Florida has shown a tendency to be slow starting up on offense. Um, and then the Bulls should be – I mean, the Bulls are more talented than them in pretty much every position. So um, I'm going to go Utah at Arizona as the, yeah. as the sleeper pick here, only because Arizona – not the the disaster we had assumed, and Utah. Um, who knows? Utah is the Pac-12's Wisconsin. So right, yeah. Utah is the prototypical top forty team that won't beat itself. Um, like it. Yeah, Arizona. I'm really so basically they played two bad teams and obliterated both of them. Northern Arizona and UTEP, and UTEP might have been worse. Um, I looked through just out of curiosity when I saw they killed UTEP. I looked through there, and. Um, Man, like Arizona punted or something. They didn't score on their first possession. But once they broke through, UTEP just, you know, just just fell into a little puddle on the ground. It was it was turnovers. It was special teams. It was big plays. It got out of hand really, really fast. And so, I mean, Arizona was pretty decent the first month of last year, too. And then they started suffering injuries and whatnot. I think they're healthier, as far as I can tell. And they get Utah at home. Uh, the projection of my S&P for this game is 31 to 29 Utah. I like it. Let's see. That's good. That's good. That's good viewing. And that's I know Utah viewing. fans will say that S&P always undersells them. It doesn't always undersell them. But, you know, this is Utah's chance to kind of prove themselves. That, and if nothing else, is maybe the second best team in the Pac-12 South. Um, and Arizona can prove that they can go to a bowl game this year, if they, especially if they win this one. So Thursday, Friday, pretty light. That's our prediction. Uh, John Shaw at Chain Shaw. Chain Shaw. I like that. Uh, 511 says, is Florida a communicable disease? And if Temple caught it, are there any treatment options? I assume what he means is the fact that their new head coach was hired away from Florida. Uh, yeah. No, they are just sort of kind of starting over a little bit. If anything, Temple tried to be um, tried to provide as much continuity as possible because the coaches are very good friends. Go read my story. Um no, I think Temple's fine. They're just not good this year because they're kind of turning a lot of people over. Um, all right, Bill. Yep. Saturday. You ready? Yep. Let's go from 11 and let's go all the way to 2. Okay? Yep. Ready? Anxiety Bowl. This is how I'm going to start my morning with a little cup of coffee. Watching the Anxiety Bowl. 
Uh, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Arlington, ESPN. Army goes to Tulane. That ought to be super interesting, at least from PAPN perspective on the old CBS Sports Network, which I've always loved and never said anything bad about. Um, Kent State is at Louisville. North Carolina State is at Florida State. Um, that we're going to talk about in a second. Texas Tech goes to Houston. Ooh. Um, Tennessee gets to um, rebuild its psyche against UMass. Ohio State continues to not be able to answer criticism about its offense because they're just going to beat up UNLV. Uh, West Virginia gonna, is uh, going to go to Kansas on ESPNU. Pittsburgh is at Georgia Tech. Interesting. Um, and then skip, 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 skip. UCF goes to Maryland. Oh, wait, no. That's your slate because UCF yeah, Maryland's at 2 o'clock. So that's the afternoon. Okay, so the morning's pretty uh, cut and dried as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, got a couple scrubs. Uh, got the game that I'll be watching for coaching reasons and gossipy reasons and things like that. I don't even know what kind of game I'll see with Arkansas, Texas A&M. But I think that uh, I like Texas Tech at Houston, but North Carolina State at Florida State. Because of the situation that we talked about on the Sunday show, I brought up, hey, this is not a Florida State program that's dead in the water in 2017 by any stretch. Yes, they lost their short starting quarterback, but they've had time. Um, let's see what they did with that time. And North Carolina State... Let's see what they're really about. Yeah, Florida State and Miami both play at home against rock-solid teams, NC State and then uh, Toledo uh, for Miami. And so how does this work when you've been off for three weeks and your opponent hasn't? Um, Zero, by the way, off for three weeks, Bill. Zero consistency day-to-day right? because of the storm. Yeah, we know. I mean, we know uh, Miami – I don't for sure know when they got back to practice. It's not like they've been sitting and practicing for three weeks, like a week and a half at most. Right. I mean, as far as I know, they've been spending time in Orlando as well. So it's a hot mess. I would like to see how that hot mess functions. Um, I still think Florida State's a better team than NC State, but if you're going to make this NC State thing work, you have to win this game. I mean, I, I really feel like this is the the expectations kind of got out of alignment with reality at some point in the late summer when people started to try and find sleepers. And NC State was like NC State for and this is just my kind of what I absorb in the institutional, like reading other writers and talking to other people in the industry. NC State like got sexy for the last like two weeks in August yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, and, it was a Cole Kubelik. I think he was just kind of going for. You well, know. yeah, and I'm not, I, don't, I didn't want to call Cole out specifically. I know he put him in his playoff four, whatever. I do that. I do that on purpose. I always try and pick someone. Well, I he, did too. he was never like. He's like, yeah, I did. So, yeah. so I don't mind calling him out because he clearly didn't mind being called out. Yeah. And he's a smart dude. Um. Okay. So yeah, that's. I think definitely the sleeper pick. If Florida State can be involved in a sleeper pick, I just say that because I think. Um, at least in this part of the country, you're looking at two coaches probably trying to avoid getting fired before the end of the season, and their performance on Saturday is going to matter a lot in Arkansas and A&M. I was about to say, NC State, Florida State? <laughs> no, um, uh, requisite, okay. uh, requisite complaint here. Get that game out of Arlington. Put it on the campuses. You have a really nice new stadium, A&M. What are you doing? I, um, yeah, I have no idea what to expect from this game. I have no idea what to expect from Arkansas right now. They No, I don't either. Um, I think it's a very good chance that um, – we get peak Hogville by the end of the year. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, there's I mean, a very I, distinct chance that uh, that is what we end up with. If, you, if you're unfamiliar for some reason or you're young or you're new to the, the entire consciousness, Hogville is a um, weaponized message board of Arkansas fans that can ruin your life if they want to. Whatever Houston Nuts done in the last year to Hugh Freeze, he learned it because Hogville did it to him. How about that? <laughs> 2007 was a great year, man. Um, 
All right, let's go to the afternoon, Bill. Uh, on FS1 at 2 o'clock, UCF goes to Maryland. That's a good game, he said. Weird UCF's another team himself. that we had been sitting on the sideline. They look spectacular, and then they didn't play for three weeks. So I don't know yeah, I mean, what but they have. Yeah. It, uh, we'll have to talk about Nebraska every time we talk about UCF, just to keep the streak going. <laughs> Um, over on CBS, uh, Vanderbilt won a Bama. They gonna get the Bama coming in at Nashville. Uh, I will be hiding in my house. Um, Boston College goes to Clemson on ESPN two. Cincinnati is at Navy on CBS Sports Network. By the way, that um, I got a note from one of the SI, from Navy's SID that, that features two teams that have that are like in the last ten years in the top twenty five of winning percentage. In college football. So there, okay. there's your fun fact. Sure. Duke goes to North Carolina. Why is this game always not played at an, like, what's so random? Uh, that's on ESPNU. Georgia Southern uh, continues its march of zombie death into Indiana. Um, Louisiana, that's on BTN, by the way. Uh, Louisiana Tech is at South Carolina. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Rutgers goes to Nebraska on BTN. TCU goes to Oklahoma State. This is yeah. sort of the, this is sort of the game. Um, Toledo's at Miami. You mentioned that one. USC's at Cal. Uh, nice normal afternoon kick for that game. I appreciate that. <laughs> Michigan goes to Purdue. Um, I guess we'll consider that to be an upset watch. Um, I will, I tell you what, let's do the five o'clock games and, uh, we'll pick it back up at six. So let's keep going. Um, at five o'clock, Nevada is at Washington state. Oklahoma is at Baylor on FS1 at five thirty. UAB is at North Texas, and that carries us to six. We'll stop there. Bill, um, four, four of the games I was saying, mm-hmm. you know, one of them will be an upset. Yeah. Four, four of the five are right now. Alabama Vanderbilt at 230, uh, USC Cal at 230, Michigan Purdue at three, and uh... – Wait, did you – when you said that at the top of the set, at the top of the show – and we're not going to go back and listen because we're not that dedicated. But no. did you include Michigan-Purdue? Yeah. That's my pick. You're right. One out of four? I'll take the Boilers, baby. Well, wait. No, I guess it was only three. It was Michigan-Purdue, USC-Cal, and, and Alabama-Vandy. So three of them are at 230. Uh, and then you've got TCU-OSU as well. This is a remote control kind of situation right here. Yes. TCU-OSU will last four hours, so that's fine. You have time to kind of venture away and yeah. come back. A lot um, of throwing to the sidelines. But, I mean, yeah, Michigan-Purdue starts at 3 o'clock on Fox. That really, I mean, Michigan has been horrendous on first down. Um, I joked on Twitter yesterday, like, they, they're almost spike factor worthy in, in the red zone. They, they're averaging one yard per play on first down in the red zone. If they settle for field goals and it ends up being a situation where Blau or who, <clears throat> excuse me, whoever can take some sacks or make some mistakes, but they're only down nine or 12, and then they get a couple of drives where those sexy mm-hmm. tactics pay off, they can be around in the fourth quarter of this game. It's hard yeah. to just the pure talent differential here. You you assume Michigan will will pull it off, but there's a very good chance this is still a, a game in the fourth quarter, and that's exciting. If Michigan wins this game, it's going to be by creating turnovers and possibly scoring on defense. Right, they will force mistakes, and if they if Blau throws three picks, he threw either two or three against Louisville. Like it's possible yeah. that the pass rush gets to him and and they panic and everything snowballs. But it's also possible that it's a game in the fourth quarter. Watchable. Don't know if it's my pick in the afternoon slot. Very very watchable. Definitely want to. I mean, it's it's the Fox game and it's a Purdue home game. So welcome Sexy to 2017. Tactics. Speaking of when you say it like that, I that's really when I enjoy it the most. 
Speaking of weird home games on national television, um, this Alabama-Vanderbilt thing, look, <laughs> Mason is doing everything right. They've been left alone, which is what they should be. Um, I do think that most of the Stanford blueprint trans translates to the Southeast. I don't know why the, the establishment dumb redneck Homer media guys, you know, talk show hosts down here in places like Alabama and Georgia and Florida seem to object to that so much, but what does it matter? It's the SEC East. There's absolutely no continuity in that division. Um, they are really, really good on defense, on defense. not coached up. It's not the cliche of smart guys. It's talented players being in the right position, being well coached, and executing. They take a brick to your head on in the secondary. You do not throw across the middle. It yeah, is fun to watch these guys. And here's where I mentioned that Alabama has been woeful on passing down so far this year, and they've had only one receiver. Like every pass, every yep. time Jalen Hurts backs up to pass, especially on passing downs, he looks towards Ridley and then he runs. Um, and so, all this being of, said. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. All this being said, I'm just going to spoil it. Bill and I don't think that Vanderbilt's going to win this game, and I this, don't think it's like a, it's not going to be watchable. This feels like 17 to three to me, and a really slow, inevitable death. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, even if you beat Alabama's offense, you still have to beat their defense and special teams yeah. at some point. And it's they're going to so ruin. Hard. They're going to ruin Kyle Shermer's day quickly. I really. I mean, he's going to be forced into situations on third down that are going to create massive problems. Um, and then you're going to really test the limits of the defense when there's a turnover inside your own 40. Um, I, God, I hate leaving it on that note because I like everything Vandy's doing. And I was serious on Twitter because I've been poked at so much covering the Mississippi State Ole Miss NCAA stuff about homerism or whatever. But like, I would love a 12-0 Vanderbilt every year. Um, it is awesome to commute a mile and a half in to see SEC football and cover it on a national, you know, with national relevance. Um, What's your afternoon pick here, Bill? Um, I think that Oklahoma State is getting short shrift in the way, not we as in you and I, but the way that we as the national collective are are picking our games every Saturday of like, ooh, this is a national contender playing a game, right? Like Alabama is in Alabama gets a national slot, and it's going to be a terrible watch. I think not enough people are going to pay attention to TCU Oklahoma State as a premier game. So maybe I should just pick that. <laughs> Yeah, it's so basically it got ESPN and USC Cal got ABC, and that should be reversed. That's uh, what I'm talking about here. Like, why? Then now that may have to do. In fact, there's no may about it. I can tell you right now, X amount of Pac-12 games and X amount of Big 12 games are going to a lot to the ESPN, or to, I'm sorry, to the ABC slot. It's contractually like it's it's all determined well before we figure out that you know that's a better game than that one in week right. four. Um, still though. Watch, yeah, let's go ahead and say it. Let's watch TCU and Oklahoma State. If, if Oklahoma State wins this game in any kind of convincing manner, I'm in. I'm totally in. I'm leaning towards in anyways, but I'm totally in after that. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, uh, you know, like I was saying for the last couple of months, OSU's defense is getting dragged down in my ratings, be, uh, or, or OSU's getting dragged down because of the defense. Defense has done what it's needed to do so far, but T- TCU, number one, has an experienced offense. Um, thrill is still there. 
somehow Kenny Hill still has eligibility. He's uh, completing three quarters of his passes so far. Um, And they've got what really kind of seems to be a TCU pass defense again, in that they are really aggressive and uh, really sticky, and they'll occasionally give up a big play. And against OSU, they'll give up four big plays. But if you're if they also force a punt, uh, force a bunch of punts and and pick off a pass or two, you can live with three long bombs to James Washington or whoever. So. Our friend really uh, at the Frogcast, Jeff Mitchell, asks, uh, is TCU beating OSU, OSU beating OU, and OU beating TCU the most Big 12 thing ever? Uh, it's pretty Big 12, Jeff. And also, <laughs> uh, it's entirely possible. Um, I still pick Bedlam as the uh, as the Big 12 uh, conference title game, which, by the way, well, uh, was announced uh, yesterday or this morning as the kickoff is like 11 a.m. So have fun with that. Well, and then it will be the Big 12 title game again a few weeks later because the big yeah. 12 title game is the stupidest. no i th- th- yeah that's what i meant i meant they're actually going to play each other like oh, okay. yeah gotcha, gotcha. not the de facto i meant like they're going to have to play each other twice okay. which is yeah. just going to uh, that's, it, it's that's the problem it's the problem everyone him hemmed and hawed about in the big yeah. 10 when the conference title game oh god we don't want ohio state michigan two weeks in a row it's never happened they, they obviously they've engineered it to not happen but it's the oh, big 12 you you're so pretty but you're so dumb um, OU is going to beat OSU, uh, finish twelve and zero, and then lose to OSU. And not you got it. Playoff. You got it. I would like to see OSU in the playoff. Um, why oh, that'd be phenomenal. I still yeah. like uh, give me OSU and or Penn State in the playoff, and I'm cool with whatever else happens. Absolutely. Uh, offense it up. I was talking uh, about Penn State being a fun matchup for Alabama. Freaking OSU would be an even better uh, matchup for just how many times they'll go deep. It'd be amazing. Bill, let's go to six o'clock. Yeah. All right, we're in primetime. Welcome. Mississippi State of Georgia on ESPN. Uh, San Diego State is at Air Force. Syracuse goes to LSU. Uh, you will possibly be having another existential crisis at home as Auburn goes to Missouri. Florida goes to Kentucky, and you don't leave Kroger Field alive against these Kentucky Wildcats, <laughs> or maybe not. By the way, shout-out to John Clay, the longtime Kentucky beat writer who, who last night or who yesterday at some point posted his – I've seen all 30 straight losses to Kentucky. Here are some that stick out. That, that was <laughs> 30 straight losses to Florida? Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. 30 straight yeah. Kentucky losses to Florida. He's been at all of them. Good God. Uh, the game of the week? Penn State at Iowa on, ES, on ABC at 630. Uh, UTSA goes to Texas State. That'll be a route. Um, skip, skip. Notre Dame is at Michigan State, 7 p.m. on Fox, because people are stupid and think that Notre Dame is still a national brand. They're not. Memphis is at home against Southern Illinois. Um, Oregon goes to Arizona State. Man, damn it, that's 9 o'clock Central. Well, I know what I'm falling asleep to. Yeah. Uh, Washington, uh, Washington is at Colorado at 9. Um, and then Hawaii is at Wyoming at 9.15. Good. God, and UCLA is at Stanford at 9.30. That one, at least they'll run the ball on that one. Yeah. All right, Bill. Uh, let's do this. I, I, I overextended. So let's cut, off, let's, cut the <laughs> night, let's cut the night shift out. So the 9 yeah. o'clock games, let's leave alone because you'll be drunk. Not you. Well, maybe. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to believe that Penn State at Iowa is going to be a more interesting game than I think. Um, I, but I think. It's, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – 
I thought before the season, this was the first chance for Penn State to prove that because I mean they're going to get home run swings this year. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Iowa they humiliated Iowa last year. They destroyed Iowa last year, and mm-hmm. so now you flip that around. Iowa's got pride. Iowa's got you know big dudes. Iowa's got some talent on the outside. Um, so in theory, this could be a a just a revenge kind of game. It's got all the uh, you know all those kind of. Um, circumstances attached to them but Penn State has been really really good this year and Iowa has not run the ball nearly as well as I expected them to they pass the ball a little better than I've expected them to so there's that um but man I I, like I kind of I was geared up for this one as like an upset watch kind of game but from what I've seen of both teams and I was undefeated that's fine they beat a decent Iowa State team uh, I just it's it's harder for me to believe in that upset yeah. now that I've seen the two teams and I love the, I, James Franklin's out for blood this year. James Franklin mm-hmm. sees his chance and he called timeout because his fourth string field goal team wasn't lined up right on a field goal in the last play of a fifty whatever to nothing game against Georgia State last <laughs> week. That is awesome. That cracked me up. Um, our listener at Drew Pitt. P-I-T-T-1 asks, does Florida have a remote shot at convincingly winning a game, or will they just continue to not lose games? That's a good question. Meanwhile, uh, uh, at Seminoles, uh, says, talk me into Kentucky beating Florida. Okay, um, so we, if you're in the SEC footprint, I think you probably know about the streak that Florida keeps over Kentucky. It, it, there really have been a couple years where I thought it was going to break, and on paper it should have broken, and it didn't. Um, the one that springs to mind was a couple years ago in Lexington, maybe two or three years they ago. Got, I know come close a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it's always a sloppy, you know, one bounce kind of momentum swing that, that Florida ends up leaving the game with the win. Uh, this feels like it. I mean, it's funny because we haven't talked too much about Tennessee, Florida. I think Tennessee was the better team and a weird thing happened. Um, yeah, like them having like five more scoring opportunities and still managing to score fewer points. Oh man, that red zone drive, Lord. Um, I like Larry Scott too. I don't, uh, man, failure, failure is an orphan and success has many fathers. Uh, Drew, I'm going to say they lose. I, Florida, Florida, I'm going to say they lose this game because logically they should. All right. (laughs) Um, okay. but that streak is weird. And that streak seems to have a power unto itself. It really, as somebody who watched Missouri lose 25 straight to Nebraska, I didn't see all 25 straight, but I like, there are a couple times where it felt like only the streak was able to give Nebraska the win. Like not what it was in 97, 98, especially like, they, yeah. just, like it, it has a power. Uh, <clears throat> um, I, this is going to be an interesting game because Bud and I were talking, Bud Elliott and I were talking a couple days ago. He was looking for he was looking for evidence that Florida's run defense isn't as good as its numbers say, uh, and like they like he, he just talked about like a lack of discipline. They weren't following their uh, the, the reads very well. They're getting caught out of position. Uh, Florida's run defense really has been pretty mediocre so far. Uh, problem is Kentucky's run game, which I thought was going to be phenomenal this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently 114th in rushing success rate. Benny Snell is averaging 3.8 yards per carry. Um, 
I, in theory, a team with a good run game might be able to take advantage of that uh, undisciplined front. And then, you know, if you score some points and you force Florida to keep up, that can work out pretty well in your favor. Uh, I, I don't know. Kentucky's run defense has been really good, so maybe that's the answer. Maybe they both teams just punt a lot, uh, and Kentucky's able to, get, to eke one out. But that's another one where I don't feel quite as confident. Uh, I thought I was reasonably confident in Kentucky this year, and aside from a good run defense, I haven't really – that that confidence has not been uh, backed up. At Duckatexture, and his username on Twitter <laughs> is Sex Robot Murderer. Uh, so plus one for you, my friend. Should Washington's kind of lackluster offense be worried about Colorado's seemingly still impressive defense? Uh, that game is is it's Folsom, right? It's in Boulder. I believe so. So yeah, I'd say yes, absolutely. It's a good good little early test for Washington. Let's see um, let's let's see how consistent you can be on the road. Washington is currently sixth in success rate and 13th in isolated points per play. So I don't really know where the lackluster comes from exactly. They scored 30, only 30 against Rutgers. Then they scored 63 against Montana and 48 against Fresno. So I don't really know what, huh. like where the lackluster yeah. is. Coming. Well, I mean, I if, you say, Rutgers, if you only watch the yeah, Rutgers that, game. I only, I've only seen, so I've only seen Washington play Rutgers. Well, they've pretty much been perfect the last two games. So um, Colorado has been really interesting too, in that like they're, they're, they're all about field position and uh, stuck st- keeping you out of the end zone, like making stops and scoring opportunities. They haven't actually been efficient at all, um, yeah. which surprised me, but they had a, you know, a ton of the Colorado state game turned on scoring chances that were denied. And then they gave up 21 points to Northern Colorado last week. So I, I again, like I could talk myself into that. And then I looked at the stats and I realized, Oh, never mind. That's less likely than I thought. I like the Pac-12 questions coming in. I want more of those. Um, let's do some quick cleanup before we get into the night slate and pick our. Oh, by the Seriously. way, did you? So, what's your evening pick? Um, well, mm. I mean, it's going to be Auburn, Missouri, for at least a little while. But no, no I'm I mean, still, like, if you're, yeah, you're I know, if I'm at home, I clone would say, yourself. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I have to go Penn State, Iowa, because night game, night game there at Kinnick anyway is going to be a lot of fun for a while. Um, yeah. And we'll see if Iowa can keep it up. Yeah, as interesting as Florida and Kentucky is, and just in terms of like record book stuff and conversations about coaches, it's going to be a terrible game to watch. Um, so, real quick on San Diego State at Air Force. Um, San Diego State beat Stanford last week. Air Force yeah. was in your top 10 overachieving SP Plus teams. Yeah. Um, we have a question from at Inventor of the Wheel, regular question asker. Undefeated SDSU at the end of the year. Discuss short term and long term implications for program, region, league, nation. Um, the first thing that jumps out at me is still that stadium quandary that, that SDSU yeah. is in, um, didn't help when the lights went out. Uh, Bill, um, f- while I crunch something real fast, tell me how good SDSU is right now, because I don't think, I mean, we, we almost announced it as if it was breaking news on the Sunday show. I don't think a lot of people or any people saw that final, especially the last quarter. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, beating Stanford at home is impressive. Uh, they won 20-17. to 17. They did it with defense. The offense had its moments. I think uh, did, did Rashad Penny have a special team, a big special teams play somewhere in there? Um, they still have Rashad Penny. He, for all the talk last year, you know, the only, you know, San Diego State's been really good for a couple of years, but basically if you've heard of them, uh, it's because last year around uh, November, Donnell Pumphrey was getting all the yeah. debate about, you know, did he have the career rushing yardage or not? Uh, he rushed for 2,100 yards last year, but Rashad Penny, his backup rushed for a thousand uh, and did so at a 7.5 yards per carry clip. So um, they still have him, and therefore they can still run the ball pretty well. He's averaging 
2.3 yards per carry so far this year. Uh, it's very, very – they're not efficient on offense, which is a little bit concerning um, right now. But they, they have enough big plays. They convert in short yardage, so they've been getting by. Uh, but they have a lot of two- and three-yard gains. Uh, they can afford that because their defense is still really good. It's still Rocky Long's defense. It's still very efficient. It, it gambles sometimes. It'll give up the occasional big play. But they just uh, – they, they know – San Diego State's biggest strength, I think, is that they know exactly what they are. Um, they are a team that's going to run and run and run and run and hopefully eventually – break through and keep your defense or keep your offense off the field. Then when your offense gets on the field, they're going to bait you into mistakes because they run a defense that nobody else runs and they're good at it. And they'll attack you in weird ways that you didn't see coming. Here's the problem. It won't have much of an impact. They've beaten Stanford. They would need the Cardinal to go undefeated from here on out. Not impossible. Slightly unlikely. They beat Arizona state and Tempe. Not good team. They won by 10 points. Um, they are going to be relegated as if, just as if Boise would be. Um, they run a Mountain West schedule. That's the problem. The last non-conference game that they have when they get done with Air Force is Northern Illinois at home. Um, shout out to Northern Illinois, obviously for beating Nebraska, but that's just not good enough. Um, I hate to say that. We're pretty obvious with our Pro G five bias here. It's not going to work. You're not going to get that far. You will get that at large bid. So congrats to you on that. And maybe you play some sort of like you know, runner-up Power 5 team like a, uh, you know, Florida State in the Cotton Bowl or something like that, however it shakes out this year on the allotment. Um, but you're not going to break the four. No. Sorry. I feel bad. Um, it doesn't well, have it any impact. And it, it, it's not going to have any – just to finish the question off, it's not going to have any impact past that. This is what they've designed the playoff to do to these teams. Right. I mean, if you have two power conference wins, it's really hard to ask for more than that, especially if you combine it with a win over Boise, maybe two wins over Boise or a win over Boise in Colorado State and Air Force, who's uh, been pretty good over the last few years. Like that's you doing as much as you possibly can with your schedule. But with the playoff, like you have to do it twice, among other things. You would have to then turn around, beat another two Pac-12 teams, good ones, uh, and then finish 13-0 again, I think to even get a sniff at the playoff, and probably not even then. All right, Bill. What's your uh, drunk pick? Stanford, is, I, I hate having a Stanford game as Pac-12 under, uh, after dark, even though it includes Josh Rosen and, and US, UCLA really has kind of let itself go into a we're going to just try to win a shootout kind of thing. It's hard not to So pick. I say Washington, Colorado. Um, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I don't think we're going to learn anything from Oregon, Arizona State at all. Um, I think it's, it's fait accompli and, you know, Hawaii at Wyoming could be fun for a minute, flip over and enjoy it. Um, it's really weird. We probably should be picking UCLA at Stanford, but we're not. Well, um, this is PAPN. We should be picking Hawaii, Wyoming. That's very true. Um, Bill, quick cleanup again. Uh, so we use the LSU football.net schedule. It's organized by broadcast television. So there's a couple games of note that we don't pick up in the schedule. They are as follows very quickly. Uh, Ball State at Western Kentucky, Bowling Green at Middle Tennessee, um, FIU at Rice. Um, really nothing of note except um, you do get ULM at ULL this week, so the rivalry <laughs> is alive. I wish this game was played later in the year. I can't believe they screw the schedule up like that. New Mexico goes to Tulsa. Uh, Miami goes to Central Michigan. Um, one game that's actually legit good. interesting is Old Dominion at Virginia Tech. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that one possibly. Old Dominion is yeah. pretty decent. I will say, well, and you need to just start doing some scouting because Clemson plays Virginia Tech next week, and that exactly. could be dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
But I will say, if you have a laptop open Saturday evening, and you just want to kind of keep your eye on some super fun football. I swear to God, are, are you going back to New Mexico State? No. Uh, okay. Well, actually, sure. But no, uh, Arkansas State at SMU. Oh, good call. I didn't even see it on the list. Wow. Yeah. That is uh, that is going so, to be so fun football. I mean, we have to say it. It's going to be pointy. It's going to be very pointy. It's going to be very pointy. Opposite of assy. Very, very pointy. Um, all right, let's clean up some questions real quick and get out of here. How about that? Yep. You ready? Let's do it. Um, let me pick a good one. Let me pick a good one. I don't care what Lee Corso does. Hey, what's wrong? Uh, Matt Moran at Faceless0311ND. Mm, that's almost too annoying of a username for me to say out loud. What's wrong with BYU? Schedule's been tough, but the Cougs <laughs> even look like a flaming <laughs> bag of poop versus Portland State. Uh, ain't got no offense, homie. Yeah. I, when, um, I wrote, when I wrote the preview for BYU this year, it was basically defense should be good. Uh, if you believe that Tanner Mangum is enough for an offense, then maybe they can get by on offense. But if you don't, they lost just about everybody else. Uh, and it could be tricky. And apparently it's been tricky. <laughs> They've just been really, really bad on offense. Ooh, good question here. Uh, Nico Gervasoni. Gervasoni. Uh, our UCLA guy uh, for SB Nation. I know, and I just destroyed his last name. Uh, between UCLA and Texas A&M, I said this, and I think he he kind of picked up on it. I said that UCLA Texas A&M 2017 was secret Texas Notre Dame 2016 last year, like for opening week games that we overinflate. So he said between UCLA and Texas A&M, who is 2016 Notre Dame? Who is 2016 Texas? <laughs> is I don't know if there's much of a difference. <laughs> um, help me here. I mean, is, I guess he's worried about the fate. Uh, I would backpedal a little bit and say that 2017 UCLA will be better than 2016 Notre Dame and 2016 Texas. I don't yes. think they're going to like be a contender though. Texas A&M's bad. Uh, uh, Texas A&M's unstable and and. Uh, they're still explosive. They still got talent. Uh, let's see. So basically the fate here is that in, is Texas, Notre Dame, Texas won, but then fired its coach. Notre Dame lost and had a frustrating, disappointing season, but didn't fire the coach. Like what? Oh, they're Notre Dame. They're Notre Dame then. Yeah. We're trying. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You can frame that question in a couple different ways. Um, Parcellus, uh at Dr. Drug Free, uh, if VT beats Clemson, what's the ceiling for us? Hey, dude, you're a week early, so you just cool your jets because we're going to talk about that all next week, all right? Damn straight. Uh, uh, ben Briner, uh, at Briner the State, a friend of the program, says, can we just talk about how great that Bob Shoop answer was? It was really good. Did you see it, Bill? Which uh, was about, like, what happened at the end of the game? He came out for the weekly presser on Tuesday and and just cut off, like, didn't wasn't rude, was like, he, it, it's... I know this is going to sound stupid, but him explaining the breakdown of a game losing play against a major rival, that video should be like the the thing that you send to an AD to get him a head coaching job. <laughs> he was poised. He was first off, he took a hundred and gajillion percent responsibility. <clears throat> Brian Kelly, um, he explained exactly what happened down to the particular coverages assigned to each receiver, how they were in quarters, why it's actually not a Hail Mary, um, specifically all the progressions that Felipe Franks goes through, and then how they did contain what worked and what didn't. 
And he was completely forthcoming about everything. I was really, really, really impressed. It's definitely how you handle that situation. Yeah, and, and it's really if you complain about if you complain about coach speak about coaches just not saying anything while they're saying something, uh, and then like if you turn around and then you like make Bob, make fun of Bob Shoup for screwing up the end of the game, even though like after he explained, then that's where you get coach speak. Like he actually. He actually took the time to legitimately explain because a lot of the major blowups and screw ups and terrible plays and all that have a reason behind them. Uh, and instead of just like turning it into a one page, you know, they joked or something, uh, he actually gave an explanation and you could tell it was the real explanation and, and encourage that it like reward that uh, as much as possible because the alternative is more coach speak. Um. A little bit of cleanup here. Um, there was some conjecture about the old, you know, uh, Dan Mullen overrated in his position, all that kind of stuff. I, I would wait a week or two before we, we again try and contextualize all of Dan Mullen's career at Mississippi State. Um, he's a better coach than that program had ever had. I can definitely say that. Yeah. Um, he still struggles to win big, big games. The LSU game was that much bigger, not even for the margin, but just the fact that he beat LSU for the second time since he's been there. Um, still... You know, hasn't beaten Alabama, hasn't won the marquee games that he's supposed to. However, he's a damn good he's a damn good football coach. Um, hmm. All right, I I didn't want to sidestep this one, Bill, uh, and I don't want to dwell on it too long because we're wrapping the show up. But uh, at Benoit Smart Car asks, uh, sorry for the downer, but thoughts on two players who died this week? Should we get rid of kickoffs? Uh, if you told me tomorrow the NCAA or uh, the individual conferences, however they wanted to arrange it, uh, wanted to eliminate kickoffs, I'd have zero problem with it. Yeah, uh, Shiano was talking about that years ago. and I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, kickoffs are fun, like, tactically, and it's kind of interesting to watch, like, you know, Urban Meyer try to hem the field into one half of it and, and pin guys yeah. in at the five and all that. That's fine, um, but nobody's going to miss them, like – if we got rid of them 20 years from now, we wouldn't remember them at all. Like it's, it's not a part of the game that is absolutely positively necessary. So um, I, I don't see why we wouldn't just give them the ball to 25. That's it. And, what about, and, and like the onside kick thing that people, yeah. whoever proposed that a while back where, you know, an onside kick, since you don't have kickoffs anymore, you just turn it into like a fourth and 10 for the offense from the, or fourth and 15 even for the offense from like the 20 yard line. Maybe you can call a onside kick once a game, twice a, once a well, half. But even the onside kicks, those are the worst because you've got people in tight quarters just decking each other. Like those well, are even less safe. I'm curious about that. Though. Is that do you think that's true? Because I think the momentum built up f- from the gunners, and when you are well, when you are closing into quarters and halves of the field, and, and the, the pure speed. Well, I think the guy who ca- let's put it this way, like you know, yeah. I, maybe I'm thinking of Spencer's thing from a few years ago. If you're the guy catching the onside kick, then the onside yeah. kick is infinitely more dangerous than if you're catching a kick return. Because uh, yeah. because you you have time to look up, <laughs> uh, and and you'll just get you know you'll get crushed uh, if you're the the guy in charge of like catching an onside kick and your guys don't block properly. So, but regardless, no, I'm I you know if you were to turn that into a fourth and ten type type of situation and that's the, your new onside kick, that just makes it more like the rest of the game, and I don't necessarily see anything um, anything wrong with that. I would be very very interested in in a study that maybe suggests alternatives to just getting rid of it 
maybe modifying it in some capacity, uh, where you kick from, uh, you know, what kind of motion you can put guys in or, you know, restrict movement or I don't know, something. Yeah, if, you're, maybe, if you can, maybe you line the, Maybe you line the kickoff team up, everyone but the coach in a different, you know, further back, closer, I don't know, something. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, I, I enjoy kickoff strategy, and I don't mind getting rid of it if, if we need to. Uh, yeah, at our I'm fine with. I, I put it this way: I'm fine with modifying any aspect of it. It's yeah. not going to make me mad at all. At R ten man thirteen, Robbie Tinsley asks: Besides turnover luck, what is the football equivalent of a high BABIP, which is batting average for balls in play? Um, something in baseball in recent years that people have kind of started to figure out. Like, there's a lot of randomness and luck involved in that. If you're batting three fifty on balls in play, your batting average is going to fall very soon. Uh, i.e. a statistical indication that a team or player is about to regress. As a corollary, he says, which teams or players off to a fast start do you think are due for a regression in this regard? Uh, in parentheses, I'm worried about Kelly Bryant, okay? I'm going to um, let you answer this one. Yeah, you don't want to take a step? Uh, the one thing that I think um, that I've been har- harping on at Football Study Hall in, in recent weeks, among other things, is that um, – Big plays are extremely random. Even if you're good at them, you don't qu- you don't for sure know when they're going to come, unless you're Oklahoma State or Penn State. Anyway, um, it, it is a like the only thing that you're really in control of down for down is efficiency. And so the teams that are maybe a little too reliant on big plays right now, uh, kind of like like Clemson has been to a certain degree. Uh, I would say that yeah, those are more likely to regress. So real quickly, um, here are some teams who have been probably a little over reliant on big plays and not nearly efficient enough. Uh, well, Baylor leads the list, and we see how that's worked out. But number two is Memphis. Uh, Temple has been no efficiency, all big plays. Michigan has been no efficiency in all big plays, uh, as I just talked about. Notre Dame has been no has been marginal efficiency in, in, in all big plays. So those are uh, some teams offensively and then defensively, the teams that have been a really have been pretty good at big play prevention, but have had no hope of stopping a team down for down. Tennessee is at the top of that list. Interesting. Um, they are 124th in success rate and 10th in isolated points per play. That is probably not the ratio you want. Uh, let's see some other teams. Most of the other teams at the top of this list are losing. Nebraska is at the top of that list. Oh, Louisville. Louisville, uh, is a lot better at big play prevention than efficiency. Maryland is a lot better at big play, uh, prevention than efficiency. So those are some of the teams that are probably on the wrong extreme end of that. Last question, Bill. At dog pound nerd asks, (laughs) does New Mexico state want Bama? (laughs) I want... Bama to play in Las Cruces. All right, there it is. And I want to study that as a so. I want to go to Las Cruces and just watch. Dear God, between the two of us, we bookended an in-season show with New Mexico State. Um, that's Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C on Twitter. I am Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. We will see y'all on the Sunday recap show. Here is to a crazy crazier craziest week four um and i mean let's just go ahead and say it boiler up beat michigan there will be a top 10 upset